0: Please take out your Bibles, open them up with me to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 22. Matthew 22, if you don't have a Bible with you, please grab one from under a seat close by in front of you. Matthew 22, if you don't own a Bible, please take that one home with you after the service so you have a copy of God's Word that you can be reading and studying every day Matthew 22 we have been if you're new to Calvary Chapel or if you're a regular just a reminder we've been in uh, looking over the last few weeks at the life the end the last week of Jesus earthly ministry within just a few days of what we are discussing here this morning Jesus will be betrayed he will be crucified he will die in our place on Calvary and rise three days later we are, we are looking at this, this time frame here that is taking place during the Passover festival. Many people, multitudes of people have traveled to Jerusalem for this annual feast. And as we talked, as Jesus now is making his last journey there for his last Passover, he, he was drawing people all the way along. He was going through towns and villages and, and large groups of people following him. And a tremendous amount of people now, as they are on top of the Temple Mount, as Jesus is now been, we've been looking at the last couple of weeks, Jesus confronting the religious leaders. And though there was a, a direct conversation going on between them, no doubt a multitude of people gathered around and hearing this exchange going on. The religious leaders looking to take advantage of that to try to discredit Jesus, And Jesus, using that as a continued platform, and even as we will look at today, his heart, even for those religious leaders, was to continue to offer the truth in the hopes that they would repent and turn and receive the truth. We saw back into chapter 21, as we've been looking through this, as since Jesus has come, his ministry has has not stopped. He spoke in parables to them The kingdom, more kingdom parables, the kingdom of heaven is like, and continuing again to extend the truth to these religious leaders in the hopes that they would, the light would come on, that they would, that they would understand the truth, that they would see him for who he is. But again, we see it again and again and again in their responses, even in their questions that they bring to him, the hardness of their hearts. And behind all of the questions and, and in their own hearts, we see this isn't just something that we could look at, okay, well, those were the Pharisees back then, just a story in the past. We see that, that, same, that same attitude woven throughout the society today, the world today, when it comes to Jesus. We see that, that people, people are okay with a Savior as long as that Savior comes on their terms, They're okay with with this this idea of Jesus as long as this whole idea of Jesus and God can fit into their understanding. If it goes past what I can understand, hey, we're stepping out of bounds there. As long as Jesus can fit into my preconceived ideas of what God should be, as long as Jesus' plans for my life fit perfectly in with my plans for my life, Jesus, you can get in the boat, just don't rock it, as long as you're rowing the same way I am, But Jesus comes confronting that, turning that whole idea upside down. At the end of the Pharisees' continued questions to Jesus, and we saw one by one as they continued to come to him, trying to discredit him, trying to tear down uh, who he is, one by one as he answered them, they were were leaving speechless. They They had nothing else to say. And we left last time, we left off in verse 40 when Jesus had this last exchange with one of the Pharisees, a, a lawyer, a scribe, about the greatest commandment. He said, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself, and on these two commandments hang all of the law and the prophets. Everything hangs off of this, it tells us in the, that, 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 that now they, they don't know what to do, so Jesus now He says, I have a question for you. As we pick up our study this morning in verse 41, Matthew 22. Now while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question. What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? They said to him, the son of David. He said to them, then how does David in the spirit call him Lord? Saying, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies beneath your feet. If David then calls him Lord, how is he his son? No one was able to answer him a word, nor did anyone dare from that day on to ask him another question. (laughs) Jesus comes to them now with a question. And understand again the heart behind Jesus. God himself, the compassionate, long-suffering heart. I know I know that I know that I know. Jesus' point in that question was not to humiliate them. The point in the question was one last time to try to get them to to respond, to think, to to allow the Holy Spirit to, to reveal to them the truth in what was being said. Jesus asked them a simple question to them. To you and I, it might not be as simple as it certainly was to the religious leaders. But when he asked the question to them, it wasn't something that they had to think about. They didn't have to huddle up and and come up with an answer. This Christ, the Messiah, the promised one that is spoken of throughout the scriptures, he said, whose son is he? And again, the, the answer was probably immediate and unanimous and in unison with all of them. The son of David. Now, when they were speaking of that, they weren't talking of the direct son of David. They were speaking of ancestry. That was the way that they referred to that. The, whose family tree would the Messiah come from? And again, easy question for them. But in asking the question, it's not just the answer Jesus is looking for. He's not, he's not just trying to engage in an intellectual debate. Understand that when... There was scripture quoted at that time, especially with religious leaders. It wasn't just the verse that Jesus was saying. He was quoting the whole thing by simply stating a verse. That was what, And we see that many times throughout scripture. When somebody will, will quote a verse, as Jesus does here, he's quoting the whole thing. They know the whole thing by heart. They have it memorized. So when Jesus says in his answer... Then how does David in the spirit call him Lord? And then the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies beneath your feet. When we just read that, we're gonna th- we think, and why did that dumbfound them? Well, we need to look at all of what Jesus was saying with that. So turn with me to Psalm 110, because that is what Jesus is quoting. They didn't need to turn to Psalm 110. They had Psalm 110 in their head. They, they knew it. But what they weren't anticipating was Jesus' question, questioning of their understanding of it. But let's look at Psalm 110 together. Psalm 110, verse 1. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool at your feet. That is what Jesus quoted. Verse 2, the Lord will stretch forth your strong scepter from Zion saying, rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will volunteer freely in the day of your power in holy array from the womb of the dawn. Your youth are to you as the dew. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. Note, look verse 4, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings in the days of your wrath. He will judge among the nations. He will fill them with corpses. He will shatter the chief men over a broad country. He will drink from the brook by the wayside. Therefore, he will lift up his head. That is the entirety of Psalm 110. That is a messianic psalm. That is speaking of the Messiah. That is the speaking of the one that is coming, the promised one. And again, there's no argument there. Jesus and the Pharisees, they're on common ground at this point. But when Jesus says, then answer me this. How is it that David, in the spirit, says, the Lord says to my Lord? Now, In the Greek, in the Matthew text, those two words, Lord, are the same word in Greek. It's kurios, it's the word that we used when we describe one who is a master over a slave. It's one of the common terms used throughout the New Testament. But in the Old Testament, Psalm 110, it literally says, the Lord, that is Jehovah, said to my Lord, Adonai. Jehovah being the name, the, the name of God, the name that was so holy that they couldn't pronounce it or write it, in its, write it out in its entirety. And then Adonai was the title that they used instead of the name. With that, Jesus is calling into question their belief of who the Messiah was going to be. They were looking for an earthly man A human being, just a man, to come and be and take the place of David, to rule from Jerusalem, from a throne in Jerusalem, and to overthrow the Romans, to have an earthly deliverer. Missing the entire point that the Messiah is coming first, not as a conquering king, but as a suffering servant. Drawing the point that it is not just a man. He says, the Lord says to my Lord, drawing, yes, he's not arguing that he's the son of David, but he's saying he's much more than just the son of David. He's the son of God. The Lord says to my Lord, David acknowledging that this one that will come from me is far above me. He is deity as well. Not just in his humanity, but in his deity. They missed that part. But notice, too, also, he says that where is he seated? He's seated at the right hand of God in heaven. He's seated there in heaven. His his throne is in heaven, not in Jerusalem. And notice his role, not as king initially. He says, you will shatter kings. You will rule. But notice his role right now. You are a priest forever. And there's a whole lot more with that where a king could, uh, uh, an earthly king could also not be an earthly high priest. This, again, has to be a heavenly thing. But Jesus, again, drawing their, their attention to the entirety. And in that, when they see it, they are, they're, they're, they're blindsided with the truth. And again, he's challenging them to hear, hear what God is saying to them. He he challenged him at another time. He says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you will find eternal life. He says, you're missing it. The scriptures testify about me. And here again, one more time, he is saying, the Messiah is standing right in front of you. Without saying those exact words, that is exactly what he is saying. And it tells us that they are left speechless. They don't know They don't know how to respond. They don't know what it is that they should do, so they they leave. They walk away. What a shame. Again, another example of someone coming face to face with the truth, coming face to face with who Jesus is, and instead of responding broken and repentant, they walk away. Well, we see Jesus... He questions the Pharisees with this question, but bottom line is, it's a question that every single human being that has ever lived, including every one of us in this room today, has to answer. This Messiah, this Christ, this Jesus, who is he? Whose, whose son is he? Who is he? And not, again, just like what Jesus is asking them, it's not an intellectual thing to just answer a question. It's not just the answer. It's the, it's the, the, the reason behind the answer. This, isn't, this is hugely important because it's eternal consequences involved for everyone who answers the question. Who is he? Well, I'd like to have you turn with me to the book of Hebrews, Because the author of Hebrews has a lot to say about the identity of this one that we call Lord, the Lord Jesus. Hebrews chapter 1. First of all, Jesus is the Son of God. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 says that God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. And he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. When he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. He's the son of God. And Jesus, people say, well, Jesus never claimed to be God. Jesus never claimed to be the son of God. He most certainly did. (laughs) He said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. And we see here, the author of Hebrews tells us that Jesus, not only Son of God, but again, we, uh, we know throughout Scripture that God is one. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, the triune God. Jesus is God himself. Notice too, it says, through, through whom he made the world, Jesus, creator. He is the one who, who's, who created all things. And in him, notice, he is the sustainer, as Paul tells us in Colossians. In him, all things consist. He holds it all together. He is God. Again, so many people try to, try to create a God and even make Jesus into something that, that is of their own creation. And I'm dumbfounded by that. Why would you want to worship something you created instead of someone who created you? (laughs) To me, it doesn't make any sense. Something of my own creation to worship? Jesus, the Son of God. The Son of David, we've seen that. And that's not something that that Jesus ever shied away from. He never corrected anyone. I mean, he was called that often. We saw we noticed that a few chapters ago when the blind men cried out to him, "Son of David, have mercy on me." That is a messianic term. That is a term that meant a lot to the Jewish people. It's the one that was promised to come throughout scriptures. We've been studying on Wednesday nights. If you've never been a part of that, we have a Wednesday night Bible study as well. We're going through the Old Testament. We're in Second Samuel right now, and in 2 Samuel chapter 7, God makes a promise to David that an heir of his will sit on the throne forever. pointing to the Messiah that is coming. The lineage that is laid out for us in Matthew chapter 1 and in Luke chapter 3 show us that Jesus is a direct descendant, earthly descendant of David, so that he fulfills that. Jeremiah the prophet tells us in Jeremiah 23, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he will reign as king and act wisely and do justice and righteousness in the land. In his days Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely, and this is his name by which he will be called the Lord our Righteousness. Again, pointing to that one, that descendant of David. He will rule and reign forever and ever and ever and ever. But he came first as the suffering servant. He will come again as the conquering king. They were looking for a ruler. What they realized that they didn't realize is they first needed a redeemer. And that's what Jesus came to do, Son of God. The son of David, the son of man, Jesus' favorite designation for himself. He called himself the son of man, it's recorded for us 78 times in the Gospels. The son of man, it tells us that he emptied himself. He took on the form of a bondservant, being made in the likeness of men, Paul's records for us. Stepping out of heaven, stepping off of his throne in glory, humbling himself to the point of becoming one of us. We will never understand the condescension that 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 step took for God himself to become one of us, to put on human flesh. And he didn't do it reluctantly, he did it willingly, he did it joyfully. And that as part of this Christmas season, this is, this is what it's all about. This is what we this is what we celebrate. And in that, we look at this, and again, the, the the huge importance of it all. He did this to redeem us. He did this to become one of us. But again, I I still struggle with the fact why? Why outside, is, it, is there deeper, is there more involved in it than that? There's a story told of a, of a man who was an atheist, and one Christmas Eve, family had always, his wife and kids and his parents and everything, they had always gone to Christmas Eve service, and he finally just had had enough, and he called his wife into the other room, he goes, just tell, tell the rest of the family I'm not feeling good. And you guys go, I don't believe any of this. I always feel so uncomfortable in the Christmas Eve services. So you guys go. I'll be here when you get back. Just tell them I'm not feeling well. So they all, they all left. Now, this is taking place in the Midwest somewhere, and it's a cold, wintry Christmas Eve, and they're, they're, on, a, they're on a farm, and there's a big barn outside. And so he curls up by the fire and, and gets out a book, and he starts to read, and he hears this bang. Bang. Didn't, and all of a sudden, he didn't hear it again, so he goes back to reading, and all of a sudden, there it is again. Bang! He, th- he realizes that something is banging against the window. So he goes out onto the patio, and there's a bird. And the bird is, is, is cold. It's freezing. The wind is blowing. The snow is blowing. It's trying to get to fly in through the window to come in where it's warm. And he's like, well, okay, what do I do? What do I do? So he goes and he opens up the barn doors. He feels compassion for this bird. I mean, it's cold out. So he opens up the barn doors and he tries to shoo the bird in and, and the bird won't, won't listen. Kind of goes flying around him and tries to fly back through the window and hits, falls back down again. He's like, what, what can I do? How do I get this bird in there? I know, I'll get some breadcrumbs. So he goes into the kitchen, he gets some bread, and he starts putting breadcrumbs out, trying to woo the bird, trying to get it to follow him over to the... And it eats a piece of bread, but then it flies back up and into the window. And he said, oh man, this stupid bird, I'm trying to... And it won't... let. I, if, I, if only I could become a bird. And then I could tell it. I could show it. I could, I could, I could fly and it could follow me there. If only I could become a bird bird and it dawned on him I never understood why this God would come and be born a baby, That's, that seemed so stupid to me but now it all made sense because <laughs> we're bird brains <laughs> and we're not going to get it so he came to to bring it to us. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter two. Beginning in verse nine, it says, but we do see him who was made for a little while lower than the angels, namely Jesus, because of the suffering of death crowned with glory and honor, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting for him, for whom all things and through whom all things are, in bringing many sons to glory to perfect the author of their salvation through sufferings. For both he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified, that's him and us, are all from one Father, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will proclaim your name to my brethren in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children whom God has given me. Verse 14, therefore, since the children, that's us, share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil and might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. For assuredly, he does not give help to the angels, but he gives help to the descendants of Abraham. Verse 17, therefore, he had to be made like his brethren in all things, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For since he himself was tempted in that which he has suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. He became one of us so that he could could pay the penalty for us, but also so that he could come to the aid. He He could lead and guide and direct becoming one of us. There's this amazing thing I found this week that I'd never heard of before. It's a harmonic phenomenon and it's called sympathetic resonance. And if you're a musician, you've maybe heard of that term before. Sympathetic resonance. And the way that I could describe it best to you is that if there are two perfectly tuned pianos sitting together in a room, and you strike a note on one of the pianos, that same note will resonate without touching that other piano on the string of the other piano perfectly. It's a phenomenon that that, that if they're tuned together, that same note will resonate in the other piano. Do you know that We are perfectly in tune when we are with him. The notes in us resonate in him and the notes in him resonate in us. That's not possible unless he became one of us. That's not possible unless he put on human flesh and lived a life like us. The author of Hebrews tells us that in in chapter four. Verse 14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. (laughs) Whatever you're going through, whatever difficulty you're facing, whatever trial, whatever pain, Jesus isn't up in heaven going, oh, that's got to hurt. He's up in heaven going, oh, that hurts. It resonates with Him. We have a compassionate high priest who sympathizes, who feels, who intercedes on our behalf. Yes, we have salvation in Him. Yes, we have eternal life in Him, but that life does not start someday, somewhere out there. It's now. Amazing. Christmas. Again, I pray that this this awe and wonder doesn't leave as we pack up the stuff and put it away in the garage for another year. Mentioned that Pastor Tony and Melissa welcomed their newest baby on Christmas Eve. It was a couple of weeks ago Tony was telling me about a a conversation he was having with their oldest boy, Judah, who's four. And he he asked him the question. He said, hey, Judah, on Judah's birthday, who gets presents? And Judah, if if you know Judah, (laughs) Judah does! (laughs) On on Abby's birthday, who gets presents? Well, Abby does. On Jesus' birthday... Who gets presents? Judah and Abby do! (laughs) On Jesus' birthday, we all get the greatest gift that's ever been given. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. of the Lord of hosts will perform this. If you were here Thursday night, I commented on that and mentioned that the zeal of the Lord of hosts, that word zeal, it means passion, it means enthusiasm, it literally means jealousy. The jealousy of the Lord. One of the names of God, that Hebrew word, Kana, one of the names of God in the Old Testament in Exodus, El Kana, the God of jealousy. We think jealousy. It's not a good thing. Well, you're right, it's not amongst us because our flesh gets in the way. We're jealous for us. God is jealous for us. <laughs> when there's a godly jealousy and he is jealous for us, that's a great thing. It's that love, it's that passion that drove him to step willingly off of his throne. That love that drove him To to live that perfect sinless life and then to be nailed to a cross, to shed his blood. It tells us for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. That joy is you and I. As I mentioned, uh, this question that Jesus poses to the Pharisees what do you think about the Christ? He worded it a little differently one day when he was with his disciples. He said, who do do men say that the Son of Man is? What, What are people saying about me? And there was a whole lot of things that were being said about Jesus. And there's a whole lot of things being said about Jesus today. If you leave here today and you go to Starbucks or you go to a restaurant or you go to the mall or whatever and you just start asking people, hey, who do you think Jesus is? You're going to get a myriad of answers. But Jesus said to them after that, he says, okay, but who do you say that I am? And that's the question we all have to answer. That's the question that everyone has to answer. It doesn't matter who I think Jesus is. It doesn't matter what Calvary Chapel thinks Jesus is. It doesn't matter what your parents think Jesus is or who Jesus is. It matters who you think Jesus is. Every one of us has to answer that. He is the Christ, the son of the living God. He is God himself who stepped off his throne in heaven, lived a perfect, sinless life, and then died in your place on the cross. He rose three days later to show that that sacrifice on your behalf was accepted. But if you have never embraced that, if you have never accepted that truth, if you've never made Jesus Lord of your life, do not leave here today. Don't harden your hearts. Don't walk away as the Pharisees did. It's not a bunch of hoops to jump through. There's no magic formula. God is not a God of formulas. He's a God of forgiveness. And you need to humbly come to him and ask for it. You need to trust in him and him alone for your salvation. You need to bring him your sin. And he will forgive you. And he will give you eternal life. But that's a transaction between you and him and it has to be done personally. You might be here today too and and you've accepted the Lord. You are a believer, but you've wandered away. You realize that you're not in tune with him like you used to be. Well, there's only one way to get back in tune, and that's with to be tuned to the perfect harmony. You bring, a, you bring a, a, an instrument to be tuned to a tuning fork, you bring that in, and again, that harmonic, that sympathetic resonance can, can come back together. You can have that restoration today. He's not waiting he's not waiting with a club he's waiting with a tuning fork he wants to he wants that restored more than you do Let's pray